You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Charity, which originally aired December 2nd, 2001, was directed by Jeff Melman, written by Gary Murphy and Neil Thompson. Hi, I'm Jake, and I'm emotionally dependent on porn and love nut clusters. I'm David, and how does she know I love nut clusters? And I'm Eric. Do you hand out the axes? Because I'm a lefty, if that makes any difference. Uh, well, before we get into this week's episode, we have a community segment. Oh, yay. Well, you, you sound so enthused, David, so you'll, you'll never expect these results. <laughs> yeah, I've literally never heard these before. This is the first <laughs> time I've ever heard the emails beforehand. <laughs> You're it not It feels wrong. like I'm cheating. As it should. Uh, So, uh, for our poll results, we are looking back a couple of weeks back to Book Club, which for Least Shitty Kid that week, I chose Francis, while David, in typical fashion, chose Dewey, and the internet unanimously agreed with me. 100% of the vote was for Francis. (laughs) The internet's wrong. But we were in agreement for Shittiest Kid. We both agreed that Malcolm was the shittiest because he was willing to exploit Hal for the, like, potential work issues they were speculating he was going through. And the internet also unanimously agreed with us on that. Uh, And we also have a couple of similarly themed emails. Our first comes from Catherine, who wrote in to say... I really like your podcast, but one thing that has bugged me ever since you first mentioned it, and now it's more regularly discussed, I decided I had to bring it to your attention. The theory that uh, Malcolm the Middle is a prequel to Breaking Bad makes far more sense if you consider that Malcolm grows up to be Walter White. That's all I guess. Keep up the great work. I think that it makes more sense in the the light of having the personality and just, you know, the, the childhood trauma and all of that. But it's it's definitely way more fun uh, to think of Brian Cranston. Also, you lose out on some of your older characters like the uh, the dentist character from Seinfeld and things like that that are Brian Cranston in the Cranston connection and Cranstonverse theory if you think that it's Malcolm. The other thing is then now you have this, like, cross-actor issue, which just makes makes it weird for this sort of goofy dumb theory yeah so also malcolm's way too smart to be walter white walter white is not (laughs) super intelligent he has some skills and i'd argue that he learns quickly but i I think the sort of intelligence he has is in line with the sort of intelligence malcolm has i don't think so at all because he starts he shows a, a an ability for the intelligence for for Im, not so much even emotional intelligence, but just sort of he picks up on people way better than Malcolm does. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> he has that social intelligence, and he can pick up on on social cues and uh, new social standards and environments way faster than Malcolm can. That is true. I think we should address that uh, since I'm on the pod again. There's been another curse, and that uh, Jake's recording failed about 17 minutes in so 
we're starting over from scratch. So David oh, regaled no. us with a tale about uh, Brian Cranston playing uh, architect on How I Met Your Mother, and I was, it gonna, was funny. I was, I was gonna bring up the How I Met Your Mother thing. I was gonna keep rolling and like nothing happen and just let people figure it out. I've been listening to a uh, podcast called Fuckface by uh, the Rooster Teeth guys, uh, Jeff Ramsey, and all them. And uh, I am the type of horrible person who loves when they do that kind of stuff to me, and I have to like go back and listen to an episode and like back up a few minutes and go wait a minute <laughs> uh, did, did you want to uh share your how i much um, your mother connection that you wanted to add my discovery yes you see i have found that malcolm in the middle the cranston verse uh connection has another stage to it and in between leaving well we know why he left lois you see he'd moved to new york he was a uh he was going under the name hammond druthers and he was an architect and he you find out through the process of how i met your mother that he is going through a horrible divorce and he's having to live in the office where he is an architect because he cannot go back home and his wife who is an iron-fisted woman and will not take him back she's had enough of him and he's still very clearly deeply in love with her and it pushes him to the point of a mental breakdown to the point where he cannot do his job properly and one of the biggest clients that they have he ends up designing the tower for them and it looks like a penis and this is how you see and he's fine he's just broken up and torn apart by lois not accepting him back and accepting his life moving forward without lois i wonder if uh while he's in new york if he makes a stopover in queens to be the neighbor of doug and carrie on king of queens because he does a small arc in that show where he plays their neighbor and he gets doug embroiled in a scheme to sell water water filtration devices before just abandoning the house and never being seen or heard from again it's probably what he did after he couldn't be an architect anymore <laughs> yeah wow fair. i will say based on our next email that uh eric may maybe uh has a stronger argument here because uh erica wrote in to tell us about the connection between our various cranston connections and the westfall cinematic universe which is based on the 1980s medical drama saint elsewhere that ends with uh, uh which i'm actually kind of glad we are uh, re-recording because i i misrepresented the the theory i i, I was conflating two different uh TV cinematic universes, uh, but uh, the, the, the ending of St. Elsewhere is, it's the one that ends where, like, everything that had happened happened in the imagination of a uh, little boy with autism. It was all, like, in a snow globe, if I remember right, but it, it like, connects but because it had all these various crossovers to, like, a bunch of different shows and ma making all of those shows also within this child's imagination because they're in the same universe. Uh, and then, of course, you know, those shows cross over with other shows and, you know, characters uh, go between shows. And it ends up with just a giant list of technically interconnected shows, kind of like uh, the Munchiverse is my personal favorite of those. Uh, which is just the uh, Law & Order character Detective Munch has shown up as Detective Munch and like just an insane number of unrelated shows making them all in the same universe. Okay. But uh, this one is notable for our purposes because both Malcolm the Middle and Breaking Bad are in that shared universe as well as, uh, as he was telling his little story, I, I looked at the master list that Erica was nice enough to send us and King of Queens is on there. Sweet. But How I Met Your Mother is not. Well, maybe... Uh... 
that master list is incomplete. It could be. It very well could be. There, there, there could be connections that uh, they just haven't uh, figured out. And uh, of course, uh, you know, very important to me, the Buffy verse is also included in that. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, let's get into the episode itself. So the cold open starts with how rushing into the bathroom while Lois is taking a shower, and he's like yelling at her to hurry up and finish her shower so that he can take a shower because he woke up late for work, and she is, you know, refusing to get out of the shower. Then when he tries to get into the shower with her, she won't let him. They, like, fight over the shower curtain, screaming at each other. And then, uh... This, of course, as they, like, finally get the shower curtain open and are both standing there naked, turns into them having sex. And it cuts to uh, them, like, post-coital with Hal calling in to work, claiming to be sick. I don't know, Jake. He had a very convincing cough. Absolutely. Getting into the episode proper, we will, of course, begin with the F-plot, the Francis plotline. Francis has finally made it to the logging camp in Alaska. And he shows up all ready for his logging job that Eric has set up for him. And we can't even call him Cadet Eric to, you know, differentiate him from Eric anymore. Uh, I mean, not to jump too far ahead of ourselves, but I think he has a new moniker that might not be the greatest. Not Cluster Boy? Look, (laughs) at this point, he's either Greasy Eric or Slave Eric. Well, we can call him Hanson because... uh... Francis does reveal that that's his last name, so. That's true. Yeah. But that's not as, mm, look, that's not how this works. You just want to keep uh, (laughs) conflating the two so people think that it's, I'm the Eric that you're talking about with uh, being greasy and disgusting. (laughs) Oh, wait, he he wasn't talking about you? Oh. Wow. (laughs) Look, I did give two options. I like. (laughs) Yeah, and I thought they were both about Eric. (laughs) Well, they were. Just not. Which one? Not this Eric. (laughs) Now I'm confused. (laughs) (laughs) It did occur to me that you keep uh, choosing episodes to come on that prominently feature Eric. Yeah, it's not intentional. (laughs) Mm, I don't know. Maybe it's subconscious. Could be. I think it is. Uh, Anyways, moving on with the episode. (laughs) Francis uh, starts... Talking and very, you know, typical upbeat Francis style to a woman we will soon find out is uh, Lavernia uh, about how he's he's here to do this job and he's asking for a left-handed axe, uh, as Eric mentioned in his intro line. And uh, at the the end of his little speech, she hands him a broom and uh, tells him he, he's not going to be a logger. Uh, he, he is going to be a slave to the loggers, and he's basically uh, going to be doing, like, menial tasks at this uh, logging camp, rather yeah, than you know, doing the actual after. work. And why yeah. is that? Because loggers are filthy, drunken, low-life slime? Yeah, I wasn't going to touch that one. <laughs> yeah, Lavernia, uh, not a great lady. We also, uh, like, immediately get a seemingly racist uh line from her but they will like uh clarify is definitely racist later in the series as we get to know her better yeah she's got a real thing against eskimos yes yeah that becomes apparent immediately yes because francis isn't allowed to talk to them that's right when francis is like trying to get his berries and he starts like asking her uh you know uh what's going on he mentions that he knows eric she starts screaming at him to get to work uh which he does he like goes to the kitchen and starts 
sweeping. Then Eric comes in from the back, uh, wearing a apron and carrying a uh, grease trap. And like he immediately upon seeing Francis starts crying and hugs him. Yep, like throws himself on Francis and sobs, not even just crying, sobs into his shoulder. Eric has regretted his choices. Then uh, when we come back to them, they are at the cabin that they're staying at. Eric is laying in bed, like too tired to move. Francis is complaining about how exhausted he is from all of the work that they had to do. And Pete is also there, who is an old man who they, they share a cabin with, who's like the sort of stereotypical, like, Alaskan woodsman in appearance. He's got the giant shaggy beard. Crazy hair. And he's introduced spitting into a tin cup. Yeah. I figured you would love that line, or that uh, moment, because I know how much you love spit. I hate chewing tobacco and watching people spit it is just the worst Ugh. It, it really is this is that like a big thing that, that you've had like dealt with in, in illinois eric I, I know it's like big in, in the military yeah it was so mostly we've had exposure to it there it was mostly a military thing yeah uh and especially like when we're on a six-month deployment you, you have you can't really take smoke breaks so a lot of people would start to dip or chew and the bottles would be everywhere and especially if you get into like high rolling sees uh it's absolutely disgusting because the bottles start tipping chewing tobacco and uh, it's very disgusting i used to uh get to do a lot of stuff with the military uh to reveal more about myself i'm, I'm not gonna go into why uh but i used to carry anytime i'd go on base uh i would carry at least two things of chew even though i don't consume any tobacco products uh because that shit is like gold absolutely <laughs> yeah i could get whatever i needed off of one of the soldiers um or one of the guys there with us uh even some of the civilian guys that were coming along with me like if i ran out of what whatever like look i got a ch- can of chew give me give me this or give me that you know and and it uh it a hundred percent worked i don't doubt it it was very uh, it was like a big thing in the high school i went to there there were a lot of there there were like a lot more kids who chewed that than smoked and it was constant like there, there were constantly like urinals and sinks and water fountains just oh the water clogged. fountain the water fountain <laughs> one yes and the oh dude and like okay veering off again a little bit but if you've ever seen letter kenny like the very first episode where they go to get in a fight and it's like hold my spitter and they take his, he takes his shirt off hold my spitter i have seen that actually happen when i was younger between yep. two of these you know 15 16 year old kids who their parents let them chew and it's like oh my god and, and those are exactly the kids that chewed too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, all the time. Oh, the Midwest. Okay, right. Getting back to the episode, uh, Eric once again starts openly sobbing. <laughs> he will a couple more times before the episode is through. Talking about how Lavernia has, like, control over everyone in the camp. You know, she finds your weakness and uh, she exploits it. And everyone is in debt to her. And she has a ledger book that, uh, you know, everyone is in with their assorted debts. And... This is sort of the introduction of that ledger book to for uh, Francis. Then the power goes out, which we're uh, immediately let know as Eric says, uh, 
Yeah, the, the generator must have gone out again. This is a frequent problem in this cabin. You're sort of uh, doubling down on how shitty their living conditions are. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, I like camping and everything, but I wouldn't want to have to live in a cabin in the middle of nowhere with a generator as my only source of power, Jake. Yeah, yeah that, I, I've very briefly done that. My, my parents <laughs> did it for like a full year. Yeah, they're crazy people. <laughs> Meh. <laughs> <laughs> but I also... I. I love how, like, Eric and, uh, what did you call the other guy? I, I, his name hasn't sunk into me. He's a brand new character. Pete. Pete, yeah. They're just, like, nonplussed by this completely. Like, they've gotten used to it at this point. And Francis is just losing his mind over it. Yes. Then we see Francis working. He is scraping, uh, some grease, uh... (laughs) Out of a grease trap, and he asks where he's supposed to dump it, and he's told, oh, we don't dump it. You heat it up, put it through the hair trap, and we use it to make gravy for dinner. (laughs) Yes, David? I don't want to go on too many tangents, but I've worked in a fast food restaurant where one of my supervisors put the filtered oil that was drained from a fryer back into the fryer. And this was like a regular occurrence and he would do it until the oil was like near black. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, This, ladies and gentlemen, is why I don't eat Burger King. Sponsored by Burger King. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That explains why Burger King tastes the way it does. Yeah, dude, their fried foods are awful. I mean, if they're doing what they're supposed to, the burgers tasted good. I don't know when I... When I worked there, the burgers I, I were always hate good. Burger King, no, no. <laughs> Having had it, then no. Burger King is Burger King is trash. So it, I guess I could agree with you. And like some of the ones, God damn it, we're so far off base and further than I wanted to go. My job when I when, <laughs> when I worked there, uh, when I was on closing before I got promoted, was literally like my job was to take apart the broiler and and clean it and uh because just like here you know i love to grill i love grills so i'd make it like spotless so if you ate off of my grill it would taste good and you could actually get like that broiled flavor but thinking back now to like having eaten burger king in the last like year or two yeah it doesn't taste like that at all it doesn't taste like a you know grilled burger like something i do in the backyard anymore like it used to when i was a kid it tastes just so greasy and because it's grilled dust bunnies and everything (laughs) yeah i'm sure they're not spending a lot of time cleaning it. <laughs> uh, that, yeah. Uh, there's so there's so many things that I've seen in fast food that would just, it should make you never eat food not from your own kitchen ever again, and yet we still do. Oh, yeah. It, it's it's all trash. Yeah, 100%. In fact, I think there's like... And I like, love it. There Delicious it trash. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, humans and raccoons, so close. <laughs> so was there an episode uh, or? Yes. Okay. Uh, so we then see one of the loggers come in uh, to buy some supplies and he's very paranoid when, when the Lavernia like brings out her ledger book. He says, oh, no, no, no. I, I'm paying for all of this with cash right now. It took me six months to get out of your books last time. Just give, give me what I asked for. I have exact change here. And she does. Uh, but then as he's paying, she said she asks if he will wants some uh, fresh muffins as well for just $8. <laughs> and initially he's you know, very skeptical is it's not going to pay $8 for uh then he like looks at them and realizes there's raisins in them. She says it's the last raisins before spring.
ring, and he gives in and goes into debt, taking a couple of the muffins. Yeah, so introducing the idea of Starbucks. <laughs> I just, I, <laughs> that was the first thing that stuck out about this scene to me, was <laughs> he has to go into debt for an $8 muffin, and also he argues about an $8 muffin being too much, and then I look at it and I go, oh god, but you pay like $8 for a muffin at Starbucks. That's like normal world right now. Well, but this is also 2001, right? And he went $24 yeah. in debt because he took the entire... <laughs> plate of three. Oh yeah no I, i'm well aware inflation's a thing and all of that i i just it, it always makes me laugh whenever i watch like older stuff and they talk about like money because uh, yeah. you know 50 cents for a coffee that's insane shit <laughs> i'd sure. kill to get one for under a dollar but uh francis and eric watch as like all of this goes down from the uh kitchen and lavernia yells at them to uh stop staring at her caboose and get back to work uh, which eric immediately does francis starts to say the you know, you, you can't talk to us like that. And then she immediately throws something at them, causing them both that, like, duck and cover. And then they get to work. At, like, double speed. I loved how how they sped up the uh, the camera work there to make it look like they were working, like, extra fast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was a very cartoony effect that I really enjoyed. Then, back at the cabin, Francis is coming in with some toilet paper, letting us know he was uh, going out there to shit. And he's complaining because he, he says on the way out there, he was treed by wolves for 20 minutes. <laughs> and as he's complaining about how bad it is, the power once again goes out. Out, which of course just adds more fuel to the fire. Francis uh, talking about how unacceptable this is. Eric once again starts crying, starts saying that, you know, it's all his fault that Francis is here, that they're both here. And Francis, you know, sort of reassures him and says, you know, we're friends, and it's not your fault. And uh, as they're having this little heart-to-heart -heart moment, uh, Pete starts playing Strangers in the Night on his harmonica. <laughs> says he was picking up on a vibe. <laughs> then Francis gives one of his rousing speeches about how they're going to rise up against Lavernia. This is what military school is preparing them for, to stand up against authority. Uh, and All forms of authority. Yeah. He uh, accidentally, instead of saying, Lavernia says mom, which Eric uh, asks who, and he immediately corrects himself without missing a beat. Uh, and they enact their plan, which we see in action in the next scene, as they are once again cleaning some grease, and Lavernia is, like, wrapping up her own work. Uh, she puts her ledger in the pantry, which locks. Uh, she leaves them, uh, telling them they, they need to uh, make sure it's spotless before they can go home. They and they go into the pantry, which Francis has put some uh, tape over in order to stop it from locking. And they get the ledger and they uh, open it up and are sort of starting to celebrate their victory. You know, saying, you know, everyone here hates her, so she won't even be able to figure out it was us. And Eric finds his name in the ledger. Uh, that's where both my and David's intro lines come from. Because he realized that in addition to their deaths, this ledger also has like a psych profile on everyone. With his just being that he's emotionally dependent on porn and loves nut clusters. <laughs> so great. <laughs> but as they're like looking at this, the gate closes behind them and locks them in. And now trapped together, Francis and Eric immediately turn on each other. <laughs> they immediately start fighting. Then uh, they're like trying to blame each other. 
uh, with Eric blaming Francis for taking the tape off of uh, the door, then Francis blaming Eric for luring him out to Alaska in the first place. Then their fighting turns into them both sort of just sitting, accepting their fate together. And the F-plot ends with the two of them, like, surrounded by, like, food and drink wrappers and garbage. They've clearly just feasted on uh, everything in this pantry, then they're getting drunk together. Eric asks uh, how much this is going to add to their uh, debt, how long they're going to have to work to pay this off. And Francis looks at the bottle he's holding and says, Well, I think this will put us into the 23rd century. And that's how it ends. It's it's so interesting to see this first uh, real Alaska plot uh, after talking to uh, Michael Globerman uh, last time. Because I don't really see, not yet anyway, I'm interested to see if I can pick up on some of the, uh, I guess, chaos and struggle for stories as the F-plots continue. Because this kind of, I mean, this one doesn't seem, this seems like a typical Francis story, you know? Like, Lavernia's just the new Spangler. I don't know, it it seems very, very on par and very in time with uh, Francis and his new found evolution. He attracts arch enemies, clearly. Yes. True. He has to have a villain to stand up to since he's supposed to be some hero. I mean, I think he fails as one, but... He's trying. Uh, you don't have to be successful to be a hero, David. Mm, you kind of do. Nah. At least once. <laughs> wow. Wow. He's been successful occasionally. Uh, I, I will say, I do think the Alaska period of the Francis plot lines is probably like the weakest of... He has, he has like three major periods, and I think it's the weakest of the three. Yeah, agreed. I have nothing to base that on, so we'll see. I mean, it's going to be hard for them to beat Spangler. I'm just like, that character was so good. Spangler? Well, you'll never see him again, so. Oh, no, I'm sure we see him sometime. Look, this show ran for way too long to not have some flashbacks or something. Also, (laughs) Francis deserves way too much shit to happen to him. Uh, I'd imagine at some point you're going to have Spangler and maybe some other, maybe Lavernia too, maybe a new person and just all of them trying to keep Francis down. You think they're going to, like, establish a Legion of Doom? <laughs> I want to see Francis's Legion of Doom, yes. Okay, well, let's go to the only other plot line, the A plot, uh, which starts with the boys all watching TV together. Reese has the remote, and he is channel surfing. Uh, he's just going from channel to channel saying, no, no, wait, no. Then Malcolm gets frustrated with this and gets up and, like, takes the remote out of his hands and starts doing the exact same thing <laughs> i remember that all too well oh my yep. lord and then even like when you know you could go to channel two and you'd have the scrolling thing if you tuned in at the wrong time crap well now i gotta go back to channel surfing wait 15 minutes hit channel two see if you hit the right sweet spot to see if there was anything on your channel yeah <laughs> we're old <laughs> i got one better for you since i am older than you guys uh, my grandma had a tv that yeah to you had to manually turn the dial. You didn't even have the remote. And so if you were going to channel surf, you had to get up there and turn from like 2 to 5 to 7 to 9, and that was it, and then just go back on the (laughs) dial. And she had that for way too long. (laughs) We never had a dial TV, but we did have a TV that we lost the remote for, like before I was old enough to run the TV by myself. So you had to like get down on your knees 
and and push the little button, you know, for the <laughs> the channel surfing, and that yep. was obnoxious. Yep. yep. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing about being a child is if the remote is lost, the child is now the remote. <laughs> that's uh-huh. how it worked. <laughs> yeah. Get up and turn that. I remember being called into the living room to turn the TV up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> But Lois uh, comes into the room and uh, tells the boys, you have a pretty good life. Which uh-oh. immediately causes them to go, uh-oh. She tells them that, uh, you know, they have toys, uh, they have video games, they have kites. It's time that they do something to enrich themselves. They are going to do some charity work. <laughs> Reese immediately questions, when did we have kites? Then she gives them the choices of they can help old people or they can help poor people. When no one answers, she says, or I can make you do both. Immediately, Reese says, old people. And Malcolm uh, is not pleased with this. And Reese asks, why? What could be so hard about helping old people? Then Malcolm, like, whispers in his ear. And Reese gets a horrified look on his face and says, poor people. We'll help poor people. I would like to just imagine that uh, he quickly recant or not recanted, but uh, recited to Reese all of the events of old Mrs. Old. Fair. Yeah, for sure. It makes sense that Malcolm doesn't want to help old people. Yeah. Then we see them at work. They're in like a church thrift store, sort of a Salvation Army style thing where they are sorting donations. Dewey finds a shirt that is the exact same shirt as Reese's shirt. He points this out. Then Malcolm points out, well, it's actually like a nicer version of of Reese's shirt because this version doesn't have any holes in it. And Reese grabs a a, uh, jacket and says, yeah, well, this jacket's nicer than your jacket. And they have the realization that they're poor. (laughs) A classic moment from any childhood. Well, any childhood of a poor person. The minute you realize you're poor, it comes so early for some of us. Then Reese decides to swap the shirts out, and he justifies this, you know, saying he's making a donation, and actually, you know, this is better because now two poor people are getting new shirts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Reese. Then we see... Uh, Hal dropping them off for another day of work, and he, like, gives them a little talking to that makes it clear he doesn't know why they're here. Uh, he tells them, you know, uh, what, whatever despicable, thoughtless thing you did, let this be a lesson. <laughs> and Malcolm points out they're not even being punished. <laughs> Mom just thought we needed to build character. Your character, right? I love that line. Uh, But after Hal leaves, uh, Reese starts moving all of his stuff from his backpack into a new one. Uh, say that he, he's trading again. You backpack for a backpack. <laughs> then Dewey picks up a Game Boy and puts down a yo-yo and starts <laughs> like putting it in his bag. And Malcolm says, wait a minute. A yo-yo isn't worth a Game Boy. Th- th- you know, this isn't a trade. Then he says, well, what if I throw in my uh, Action Man action figure? Uh, and Reese says, yeah, that makes it two for one. That seems fair. <laughs> And they decide that as long as, you know, they're they're donating things of equal or greater value, that they can take whatever they want. And Malcolm sees some shoes and, like, holds up his, like, very shitty, dirty shoes next to it and asks, "Uh, what do you think, guys? Is this equal? And then Reese gives him an argument about how adding the value of their work together with it, it'll all come out ahead. That's right. Sounds like every manager I had ever. Then uh, we see Reese coming home and all of the Krellboys are there. 
And Reese is, like, complaining about how in high school they don't care how much homework the other teachers give you, you know, they just keep loading it on you. And as he's doing this, he's passing his books out <laughs> to various crowd points. Oh, uh, it's Lloyd asks, is Monday okay? And Reese says, better make it Friday. I don't want to ruin your weekend. How thoughtful. <laughs> so thoughtful. I mean, that's, that's thoughtful for Reese. It is. He's really embracing his entrepreneurial spirit in this episode again. <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> He's, look, he, never mind. I'm not going to say that one. That one might get me in trouble with the internet. I think you have to say it now. I think. Oh, you... Well, he's the Gary V before Gary V. Uh... <laughs> Who the fuck is Gary V? Oh, uh, really? You don't? Uh, I forget you don't social media. So if you just leave it like that, you might be okay. Because now there's a faction like uh, Jake that don't understand who you're talking about. So. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna explain. No. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. But uh, Dabney is like looking at his watch and realizes he lost the crystal from it, and uh, it was a, a gift from his parents. So he's worried about it. Malcolm says he's seen watches exactly like that uh, down at the church, and he offers. You know, he, he sort of explains their exchange program that they have. And uh, he says that he, he would be willing to swap it out if Dabney donates something. And Dabney decides to donate some aftershave that his mom bought him for dances and parties. That poor delusional woman. <laughs> then Reese is talking about like how much stuff they, they have at the church, how there's all this cool stuff. And he talks about how someone just donated a Nintendo with Double Dragon 4, <laughs> which immediately catches uh, Stevie's attention. And he asks, uh, he, he refers to it as DD4, the Sacred Stone? Which is actually Double Dragon 3. I don't know if you guys did. I, I was about to push up my glasses and say <laughs> the same thing in my nerdy uh, voice, actually, Eric. <laughs> sorry to steal your uh, thunder there, Jake. <laughs> I remember those games and the movie that had nothing to do with the games. Yeah, movie's great. Yeah. 10 out of 10. 10 the out games, of 10. The games existed, and I don't know about 10 out of 10. <laughs> no, 10 out of 10. Like, any I, movie that you like is a 10 out of 10 game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've learned from Eric's podcast, Filander Entertainment. Oh, thanks for the plug. There, there, there's some certainly sketchy things with the rating systems from certain individuals involved in that podcast, <laughs> and or potentially in the same room when it's recorded that I feel like need to be addressed, but maybe not right now. <laughs> but uh, Stevie just wants to pay for this uh, game, and he offers twenty dollars, which Reese immediately says yes to. And he points out, you know, the church was only going to charge $5 for it. So actually, you know, the the church is making an extra $10. Uh, then, then Malcolm starts to, like, point out the math error that he thinks has gone on. And Reese explains, you know, no, they're, they're going to keep that $5 for themselves because, you know, then the church still comes out ahead, but they also get some money and Stevie gets the game he wants. It works it's for everyone. It's a win-win-win. That's literally in my notes, Dave. <laughs> Michael Scott would be proud of this solution. All right. <laughs> then Lloyd asks if they have any porcelain tea sets, you know, for his sister. And when Malcolm points out, that uh isn't your sister at Vassar? Lloyd says, Do you want the money or not? <laughs> <laughs> then uh the next time we come back, uh Lois is reading a letter from Francis about how great Alaska is and how wrong she was that he would be taken advantage of and be miserable there. Yeah, that's not gonna happen at all. <laughs> 
And, and Hal is talking about, you know, uh, that, that's nice. We, we, we've raised some good boys. And he talks about how the uh, church lady, uh, Mrs. Potts, has been talking about how helpful the boys are. And Lois says, you know, it finally feels like we're doing something right with them. And then the boys uh, rush off to go do some more quote-unquote charity work, which they love so much. Then we get a montage. Did Don Holland direct this? <laughs> uh, he's not the only one who does montages. I he know, just does the kidding. best montages. That's 100% true. For sure. Starts with Reese selling a boombox to a kid. Uh, then we see like a, a bit of the boys like actually doing work at the uh, donation center until Mrs. Potts and the priest leave, and then they like rush over to the table to pick through it. Then we see Malcolm like with a lot of cash. He takes like half of it, puts it in the donation box and keeps half. Uh, then we see Malcolm selling a kid some sunglasses and like holding up a mirror so he can look at himself. Then Dewey like from their bedroom window selling a kid a super soaker. <laughs> I really, I admired that one. That was pretty good. And uh, then we, we end with, once again, Malcolm at the donation box. This time he takes, like, 90% of the money in one hand and puts the remaining, like, couple dollars in the donation box. <laughs> then at the house, the uh, Reese is counting up their money. He says they're at $159. It's a lot of money back then for kids. Oh, absolutely. And they, they start discussing what they want to do with it. Reese wants to buy a saddle, because if they have the saddle... Battle. Mom and dad can't say no to the horse. <laughs> Perfectly. Ah, uh, Reese. That's... <laughs> God, I I remember like having those types of thoughts and, and and arguments and plans as kids, but God, never to that extreme and never that insane. Also, no, I think I've told that story before, but like I know people who have you know bought like CDs in hopes of like forcing their parents to buy them CD players for their birthday, and that's just insane yep. to me. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of a. Small little, little sidebar, my uncle would used to buy CDs of like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and all like the hot, you know, quote unquote, hot pop stars. He didn't own a CD player and he was married with a daughter that was around the same age as those pop stars and he just wanted to buy the CDs to perv on those girls. So pretty gross. <laughs> you uh, bringing that up reminded me of that. So that's out there in the world. Okay. <laughs> uh, my uncles are somehow less weird than yours. <laughs> Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My uncles are great ish. <laughs> but uh, Malcolm immediately ha has issues with this because he doesn't even want a horse. I mean, I don't blame him. Horses kind of suck, which I know I just ticked off a whole branch of the internet again. I don't care. Uh, I've been around horses. I'm from Wyoming. Horses kind of suck. Yeah, they're all right. They're all right, but they're not like great. And they get real shitty, no pun intended. Seeing the True. potential to see wild horses is what was going to prompt Megan to agree to come out and visit you guys in Wyoming. They're around here. <laughs> you can see them. Yeah. That's so. true. Maybe I just won't let her listen to this episode where you call out horses. Oh, man. Horses are so majestic <laughs> and beautiful. No, they're dicks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Look. <laughs> I can't even fake it. I've been around too many horses. They're fun to ride, but they're assholes. <laughs> so are a lot of people, to be fair. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Look, my dog's an asshole, but I love her. <laughs> yeah, horses are very dog-like in that, like, they, they have a lot of personality. Some of them can definitely be assholes. Oh, yeah. No, they have a ton of personality. They the One of the horses that I used to ride all the time when I was a kid, he was such a piece of work. If he wasn't given, like, a carrot or some sort of snack or something before we go riding, he would make it his job to throw his rider. Wow. And he threw my nice. sister twice. <laughs> So are they smarter than rats? Because I'm sure you, no. you guys have heard on... No? Oh, my God. So I, I get to come on a second podcast and be wrong about that, too? Yep. <laughs> Damn it. I, I've heard your arguments on File Under Entertainment. No, rats are rats are definitely smarter. I, I understand the research that you did. I disagree with it completely. I, I don't think that equivalent size relates to intelligence. Also, having been around horses and owning rats, rats' problem-solving ability alone makes them more intelligent to me uh, than horses. Horses are not great problem solvers. So I'm going to have to ask Erica to do some more research on the encephalization quotient. <laughs> uh, uh, do some research on that, Erica, and get back to us, please. Thank you. Uh, oh, she but... is smarter than all three of us. <laughs> Combined, for sure. True. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, to be fair, it's not a high bar, but <laughs> still definitely true. I like how I compliment her and then you're just like, we're going to take that out at the knees. We don't want her getting too big of a head. It was more self-deprecation, I think. It was still yeah. a compliment to her. Yeah. It's more of a cut down to all of us. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to, you know, make it any less of a compliment to her. I just wanted people to, you know, recognize that we are very dumb. Speak for yourself. I'm only slightly dumb. Marginally. I don't know. Rails? Oh yeah, this is a podcast. Back to the episode. Dewey interrupts the argument between Reese and Malcolm about what to buy by uh, asking if, if God can see everything that they do. Mrs. Potts told him that, uh, you know, God sees everything that they do and he's uh, worried about what they're doing with this church. Uh, and Malcolm, like, starts to rationalize what they're doing. Say that, you know, what they're doing isn't bad. It's actually good because, you know, they're, they're helping the, the church. They're, they're just, you know, also getting something. Because sometimes when you do good things, good things happen to you. Satisfied? Uh, Reese is much more dismissive of the concerns. Well, of uh, course. Because he doesn't think that God could see through uh, roofs. That, that That's just <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> then uh, at the, like, end of Malcolm's, like, you know, little speech rationalizing all of this, they hear the floorboard squeak and they, like, rush to hide everything. Uh, and this is sort of what uh, makes them realize that what they're doing is definitely bad. We're going to hell. Uh, I guess, well, Reese tells Malcolm he's going to hell. And then Malcolm says, we're all going to hell. <laughs> and they immediately start, you know, shifting blame. Uh, Malcolm blames Reese because he's the one that started all of this. And, you know, he, he should have realized they were doing something wrong when Reese started making sense. And Reese points out that Malcolm's supposed to be the smart one who keeps them out of trouble. So it's his fault. Oh, then Hal comes in. And uh, immediately, like, just judging from their reactions, knows something is up. And they confess what they've done to him. They, they say it's one of the worst things they've ever done. And he says, I'm sure it's not that bad. You know, tell me about it and we'll deal with it. Then it just cuts to him holding the wad of cash, yelling, you stole from a church? And maybe some merchandise. Yes. And they, like, move the blankets at the foot of their bed to show him the, the stuff. And they open the closet. And he, like, goes over and starts looking at everything. Uh, and he, like, starts having, like, a panic attack at how much stuff they've stolen. Is that cheese? 
Uh, they, they like, get him to sit on Reese's bed, and they get him some oxygen. <laughs> he starts, like, breathing in and then realizes they've stolen this oxygen tank as well. I love this scene. They've got, like, a rag thrown over his head. He starts tearing into them about, you know, how bad this is, how much of a disgrace the entire family is going to be because of this. And then they say, yeah, just think about how mom ma- or how, how mad mom's gonna be when she finds out. Then, uh, cuts to them all loaded into the car with all of the stuff loaded in the back. As Hal has explained, they're going to sneak this all back in and no one will ever have to know what happened. Uh, then he blows a tire... Uh, and pulls off to the side of the road, uh, which Dewey immediately thinks happened because God found them. That's right, God found us. Uh, and Hal is initially dismissive of this, saying it's not God, it's just my crummy luck, or it's my crummy car. And he says, although, you know, it wouldn't hurt him to, to throw me a break every now and then, maybe a promotion, so maybe it is God's fault. <laughs> Malcolm points out that uh, Lois on her drive home passes this road and she gets off in ten minutes. Which causes Hal to panic. So he gets out of the car and, like, opens up the back and he starts just trying to give people the stuff from the back of the car. But the guy he's trying to give it to is saying, you know, I I don't want this. And he says, don't worry, it's free. And he says, what's wrong with it? Uh, so in, in his panic, like, just trying to get the people to take things, he says, okay, give me five bucks. Which somehow works. Like, I, <laughs> this guy just didn't want it when it was free, but he's gonna pay you five dollars for it. And, and then, like, people start, uh, circling around the car to buy, uh, these, these super cheap things. And they're interrupted by a cop. And <laughs> Hal tries to, uh, explain the situation. Uh, he says, oh, I, I know what this looks like, but... But I didn't steal this stuff. My boys took it from a church. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. I love Hal in these situations. Grace under pressure. Yes, clearly. The composure. Then uh, we see Lois on the phone, like, calling around, looking for Hal, as we will find out that, uh, you know, he he was released from jail hours ago and hasn't come home. Him and the boys are still missing, and she's looking for him. Uh, But Hal calls her from a uh, bus station, and Lois is trying to, you know, ask him where he is, and he says he'll never tell, and then in the background, over the intercom you hear uh them announcing the bus for omaha is starting to board <laughs> yes the bus for omaha and Lo- lois starts uh telling how the, he's a grown man he can't run away from home he says i, I have a credit card that says otherwise <laughs> Uh, but she manages to start getting through to him, you know, talking about uh, how much she would, or he he would miss her. He can't run away because he just loves her too much. And Hal starts to fold, which the boys recognize. Uh, Malcolm, you know, points it out to the other boys and Reese says, I knew we should have had that wino call. <laughs> then Hal and the boys come home and Lois is like in a very cheerful mood. So they look very skeptical of her. She tells them that she's made their favorite meal for dinner. The the boys are, you know, thanking her and uh, looking very confused. And they go to their room and find it is, like, completely stripped of everything. The, the, there's, there's no blankets on the beds. There's no toys. There's nothing on the walls. It, it is pretty much just the beds. 
And uh, Lois uh, comes up from behind them and says that uh, she's left them with two pairs of clothes, uh, one for school and one for home. And she asks, is there any issues with that? And they say, no. (laughs) And she has donated everything that they own to charity. Ah, how generous. Then we get like one last little capstone scene. Uh, it starts with Dewey, like, kneeling down at the bed like he's praying. Then it pans over to Malcolm, who's, like, squirming around trying to, like, uh, sleep with, like, a little baby blanket. <laughs> this is his only blanket. And he talks to camera, laying on his bed, uh, about how, you know, he, he doesn't know much about God, but from what he understands, you know, they're, they're an all-powerful, uh, being that watches everything that they do. So it's like Lois, but invisible. <laughs> Then Reese asks Dewey what he's doing, and he says, praying. And Reese, like, looks closer at him and says, no, he's not. He's got chocolate. (laughs) And they yell, get him. And Reese and Malcolm attack Dewey. (laughs) And that's how the episode ends. So let's go to our awards. Let's start with our Roller Skating King Award. Our award for the best visual moment. Uh, As our guest, of course, Eric, feel free to go first on these. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm going to say Hal, when he totally caves on the phone call home to Lois, he can see his mind working a million synapses a second playing out in the expressions on his face. Just so good. So good. I do love that scene. (laughs) And yes, Brian Cranston amazing physical actor i i love how well he can portray the thoughts in his head yeah good choice good solid choice yeah fair enough i chose that image of malcolm in in that last scene as he's laying on the uh bed (laughs) which just has like uh everything removed from it just like a gray sheet and and then this tiny blanket that he's just trying to use to cover himself Uh, it's just such a a nice way to show like the the physical discomfort uh what did you have for your award david i had that that exact thing i hate you (laughs) so much i didn't even have a backup for this episode i hate you first time in forever i haven't had a backup and then you take it but yeah same thing i i absolutely love that last scene especially coupled with when they first walk in the like barrenness of the room it just it one it was the only punishment that was effective to me as a kid uh that i remember being effective uh, i got into some trouble being a shithead and my dad made me disconnect my tv and my playstation and move it into his room i still remember that shit and i'm 30 i've had plenty of other punishments but i have to recall them uh and some of them i can't but I think that it's just, it's a very unique thing. I think that it's something that is character building. I think that it's something that does make sense and doesn't come across as cruel even in my mind. In Well, I don't know, maybe, unless she actually gave away all their stuff. Which with Lois, probably did. <laughs> but I, I, I love the imagery of it. And like you said, yeah, it's that sort of imagery of the how miserable exactly they are. And, and watching Malcolm try to like fit himself under that blanket was hilarious. Uh, and what did you have for your hot dog with mustard on it award? Your award for the best line. Dewey, when uh, Mrs. Potts, who's the church charity or- organizer, when she says that she's going to say a special prayer for him. And he says, yeah, that should make us even. That just makes me laugh like hysterically every time. 
It's so great. I mean, regardless of people's opinion on religion or whatever, I'm not going to get into that to, you know, ostracize anybody. But you got to think that someone saying that they're saying a prayer for you is not equivalent to someone actually doing manual labor. So I think that everyone can agree on that. Uh, yeah, fair. I just like Snarky Dewey. I enjoy seeing him get to be snarky there. Now, you want to go ahead on this one, David? This is one I had a couple choices for. And... Man, there's so many good lines that I was considering, but the one I ended up going with was uh, from the when when Reese comes home and they're explaining the little you know exchange when uh, he hands over the the aftershave and uh, he's talking about you know uh, she bought it for me for uh, parties and dances. Poor deluded woman. I, I <laughs> it was just so funny. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, for mine, I went with a line from Francis when he's talking about, you know, how abhorrent the living conditions are, how they, how they can't be treated this way. Uh, he, he ends his little speech with, this is America, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Which I, fe- I felt like was a nice little callback to, you know, like, like uh, him exchanging his money for Alaskan dollars uh, and him being, you know, confused as to how far away from Alaska he is. Right. When he's in Washington uh, and all of that stuff. Uh, him being perplexed when Malcolm says it's 6,000 miles away. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, he didn't study much. Clearly. <laughs> Apparently he's not certain if Alaska's America or not. He was too busy having bug races. True. But you don't have to kill him, David. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that was such a good line. <laughs> Moving on to our next award. What did you give the A-plot of your heart? The actual A-plot with the boys pilfering from the church. That won it for me. As did I. What about you, David? Uh, Well, despite almost none of my awards coming from it, I actually went with the F plot. And uh, the reason being is uh, I always love to see how they are establishing Francis's new villains uh, or new conflicts between. Because, I mean, we really haven't had a new villain yet at this point, but uh, we've had sort of a change in the dynamic between him and Spangler. And I love those episodes where you start to see that between that and then also the how it ends with them using you know their little school tomfoolery to get in the cage and then it slams shut on them and they're sitting there just eating and feasting away in the cage I absolutely love that part uh the f plot was just really funny a plot was great but I enjoy seeing this sort of setup for Francis. Yeah, fair enough, I suppose. Uh, I I feel like I chose the A-plot over it, mostly just because it does such a good job of showing the sort of snowballing sort of a slippery slope that the boys are on with their... uh, you know, sort of mental gymnastics they go through uh, throughout the course of the episode. Uh, I really like that progression. (laughs) Fair enough. And what did you have for your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. The song playing in the montage. It's the Crystal Methods, The Name of the Game, which is from 2001, which was brand new at the time, but it's now something that I remember very much being a part of the early 2000s. So that's a good catch. Yeah. I didn't even catch that. Uh, that was also my first choice. My apologies. You're you're fine. <laughs> no, it's I've got he deserves for it for a reason. <laughs> I'm prepared, unlike some people. <laughs> uh, so, what did you have for your OK Boomer Award, David? Uh, not technical difficulties, Jake. <laughs> uh, no, I had uh, I had the Super Soaker, the Dewey 
that sells the kid. It was one of the big ones with the dual air tanks that you could really pump up. And you you could whip people with those things, man. You shot the water and you could just, ah, I tortured my brother with one of those so much. <laughs> it was back when toys were fun. I, I did have that as one of my backups, uh, sort of more broadly under the uh, merchandise. Uh, because the boombox and the sunglasses are also very... 2001 artifacts true but uh i i will take as my official choice channel surfing <laughs> uh, I, I do remember that exact feeling of just going from channel to channel having to wait like a second to like to you know determine what it is maybe wait for a wait for commercials to end to see what it actually is just to you know switch to the next thing it's just such a specific like omnipresent part of my childhood that is completely gone <laughs> oh, or you get on the loop of commercials where you'd switch to a channel mm. oh god that was a commercial then you'd wait and it was oh no i don't want to watch this show switch to next and now it's just gone to commercial Ugh, the worst did you ever do the thing where you would like try to watch two shows at the same time and yep. like anytime one goes to commercial switch back yes because sometimes it would line up so you could kind of do it uh-huh so many times and it was awful i regret it every time yeah i missed 10 minutes of both shows but i didn't watch any commercials that's right checkmate television companies <laughs> <laughs> Who did you have as your favorite character? I chose Old Coot Pete because he had so many great lines in such a short period of time. He was just fantastic. Aside from the, the spitting into the uh, tin cup that I know that David didn't appreciate... Uh, he's just, he's great. He, he complains that they have to pay for hair gel and he says, oh, this isn't dark. You ever spent a night in a caribou's gut? And then he was complaining about the ending of, uh, Valley of the Dolls cause he hates that book. Oh man. He's just, it's so great. So great. I like the fact that he tauntauned a, a caribou. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, that, that did win me over past the spitting. I didn't like the spitting, but the, uh, the the tauntauning a caribou is like all right i'll give this guy a chance now what about you david who did you have his favorite character so i gave it to hal for the exact same reason that uh eric gave the scene an award earlier uh for the phone call where he's notifying lois that he and the boys are in a location and they're gonna have to try long distance maybe for a little while and the, that whole conversation that alone and then the interaction with the police officer the as you put it grace under pressure <laughs> i love that so uh hal was my favorite character for this episode he was my favorite character as well i also appreciate that like when he's taking the boys to the church uh he, he like just assumes that this is a punishment he very clearly hasn't been paying attention to like lois's little enrichment plan <laughs> that she's put into place and who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting? Yeah, so in that same vein, as you guys have already discussed, Brian Cranston, especially for that bedroom scene uh, where he finds all the uh, pilfered products and, and starts freaking out, and then he's sucking on the air tank, and he's, you stole air! And then the, the phone call home, oh, man, yeah, he's just so good. 
So good. Yep, that that was also my choice for yeah, for pretty much those exact scenes are what I have in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. I also gave it to Hal for the for the phone and the the stealing merchandise. I actually specifically didn't choose the the stealing airline as my favorite line because I was going to discuss it when we talked about the Cloris Leachman Award because between the the passing out and the thing that really the two times that I love Hal so much in this episode are on the phone when he very first starts to break the facial change there <laughs> and then the realization as he's sucking on the oxygen and he slowly spits it out instead of just like doing the like normal sort of spit take and remove it immediately <laughs> he kind of does that like and like slow spit out of it and then he you stole air <laughs> it's just ah it's so good I love Brian Cranston and this is a phenomenal episode for him mm -hmm. well that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards sure does let's start with least shitty kid i'm not sure i like the look on eric's face yeah <laughs> so uh i'm gonna actually give it to dewey because he stops being a sociopath for five minutes and uh actually has some uh, empathy and moral compass and i can see How david's face he started smiling and then he just all the color and just expression just completely went blank <laughs> because <laughs> uh, how can you say something so right so wrong <laughs> yeah. now, in this case he was the least shitty of the three so dewey gets least shitty that's correct yes i also chose dewey because he has a conscience in this episode no he has one <laughs> unlike the other two monsters now last episode remember he just straight faced to the kid that he stole his birthday party and couldn't care less well he was acting like a monster, but I mean, look, nature versus nurture, that whole thing, I say it's both. He, he has an awful environment teaching him to be a monster. I did not choose Dewey as my least shitty kid. I chose Francis. I knew it. <laughs> I almost chose Francis, but so I, I can't like super argue against you, but come on, Jake. Uh, he, you know, uh, tries to help his friend, even though Eric, you know, screwed him over. By bringing him up to Alaska in this way, he's, he's, he he's a good friend to him in this episode. Well, yeah. no, he doesn't, though, because it's all getting added to the ledger. I mean, that's the implication, but if I go into a store and eat the stuff before I pay for it, I'm stealing. Yeah, well, no, you're not. His intent was not to steal the ledger. Afterwards. Mm. I, I will give you attempted fever yes okay <laughs> but i don't consider him eating uh, th them eating all that food and stuff thievery because they they do it knowing that they are going to be held you know uh accountable for this and essentially fucking themselves over <laughs> Yeah. I guess, but not really. Uh, by the way, I've it's a thing that my dad loves to do that I also would never do that drives me crazy. But like, if he gets like a banana at the store, he will just eat it in the store and like just pay, like take the peel up and be like, I ate this banana, I'm paying for it. Yeah, I <laughs> get... and I've seen other people do it. <laughs> sure, there's lots of people who do it, but I don't agree with it for one and for two. It's a little different here than that um, because there's actively people there that are can take the money and, and you can pay them. They are breaking into this locked area, uh, which, by the way, also a crime. 
<laughs> to steal something, they get trapped in, and then, because they're trapped in as a crime of opportunity, eat and steal more stuff. Yep. Yes, they know there's going to be consequences for it, but I feel like accepting the consequences for a behavior doesn't make it just or any more moral. So Yeah, I, I just don't think it qualifies as stealing and, and like this particular situation this is much more they're accepting their fate but i, I guess no, never mind it reading too far in it but i don't know that they'd have the ability or would have been given the ability to quote buy even with her weird ledger credit system that she's got i don't know that they would have had the opportunity to purchase these items that they have helped themselves to therefore in my mind making it stealing i get your argument and i'm not saying that you're necessarily wrong but i just i don't i can't convince myself that you're correct fair enough i suppose but moving on who did you have as shittiest kid uh, it pains me to do it but uh i have to choose reese because similar to evacuation he found a situation to exploit and he took advantage and while i think it's great evidence of him being able to formulate well-executed plans it's still done with self-serving intentions and sadly that makes him the shittiest in this case Look, I'm not his lawyer anymore. I got fired, so that's fair. <laughs> I was waiting for the brushback. My mission for season three is not to get Reese Lee shitty kid. Uh, that was season two, me. Like, we've moved on. It's a new bit. <laughs> Who did you have as shittiest kid, David? I had Malcolm. I thought you might. Yep. For one, we know he's overall shittiest kid in the entire series. Uh, we well, have it on good authority. Ac- ac- according, according to one of the creators. We don't have a consensus. It's good enough for me. Uh, and also, <laughs> also, because he, again, Reese is right. Malcolm is smart enough and is supposed to be the one who keeps them out of these types of situations. And he does have a moral compass that we've seen in use multiple times. And he immediately gives in and goes straight to a, like, the other boys at least tried the whole equivalent exchange thing. He just trades in dirty, holy, awful sneakers for really nice shoes right off the rip. I... I don't know. He was yeah, befuddled Malcolm by awful. Francis or uh, by uh, Reese's genius of evil. He, he no, <laughs> no. Reese actually came up with a good plan, and he was just so awestruck by it. Hey, that Reese is actually using his brain and formulating well-executed plans here. That's a, these are actualized thoughts. He was just taken aback by it and went along for the ride. Remind me, David, who is it who convinces Malcolm to trade in those shitty, muddy, dirty shoes for the good shoes? Who who immediately comes up with a justification? Mm-hmm. You know. Does the gymnastics to get there? Was that Malcolm? No, Reese. Gives- no, what? Stop. That was the shittiest kid of the no. episode. No, Reese. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> Reese gives him justification, but he takes the action, and he knows better, and he does nothing to stop it, even when his conscience and his guilt do catch up to him. He does nothing to better anything. I know Malcolm is absolutely the shittiest kid of this episode. Reese is shitty, but he's acting on par with Reese. I have one more piece of evidence I would like to submit against Reese. Mm-hmm. If it pleases the court. That is, 
when he is, you know, when, when he's passing out his homework for the Krellboins to do, he is actively bitching about the homework that he himself is not even doing. And by by the Malcolm can be held accountable for his bitching logic you've used many times. <laughs> he's got you there. This is Reese no. being no, no. a next level complainer. He is complaining about the amount of things uh-huh. he has to hand other people to do for him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. But this is also the first time we've really seen that, uh, whereas with Malcolm, it's a pattern uh, of behavior. Once is just uh, a coincidence, uh, an issue. Yes, doesn't need addressed, yes, but it's not a pattern of behavior indicative of criminal intent, nor any sort of underlying criminogenic risk factors. Don't go there with me, Jake. I will get this going again. <laughs> Do not make me prosecute Malcolm for being a bitch, because I will win. Look, no, no, I'm agreeing (laughs) with you. I just think we need to hold Reese as accountable as we hold Malcolm. Uh, I agree with you, and when he starts bitching as much, then he will also be held to that same standard under the court of law. However, currently, I think he gets a pass for that, especially since we need to look at all of the other evil deeds that he did. Now, he's very clearly a shitty kid, but Malcolm having known and been in good and proper standing with society and with the court and with society as a whole where reese was not his actions arguably deter the other boys from making good choices as well as take away from society more due to his standing within society and the fact that he's not an evil mastermind like reese this is total corruption of malcolm as well as a bad thing, making Malcolm the shittiest kid of the episode. Well, we'll see who the <laughs> internet sides with. Uh, <laughs> it's never me. Uh, no, no, we, we, we have we, had. We did, we did the analysis. It was actually pretty evenly split. It was actually last season, way more than I thought. Well, that wraps up our awards, but we have a couple segments left. First up, we have the Cranston Connection, where we try to connect Brian Cranston's various roles, usually Breaking Bad, <laughs> uh, to this episode of Malcolm in the Middle. I am the one covering it this week, but Eric, do you have anything, even if it's not necessarily related to this episode, you would like to add to the Cranston canon? Uh, I brought up the one thing earlier about King of Queens. I think that's one of his... Uh... Uh, his personalities that uh, just starts fragmenting. It's when he starts to break the uh, disassociative break in his mental state and he starts trying to convince Doug to get in on the water filtration game. So that's my connection. Okay. I, going off of the scene where they're at the bus station, have have decided that uh, this is why when, you know, it comes time for uh, Walter White to disappear, he specifically goes and, you know, looks for professional help with this disappearing act rather than trying to do it himself. Uh, You know, he he has to go through uh, his lawyer and, you know, find someone who's an expert in, you know, crafting these new identities because he's had experience trying to disappear before and he didn't make it very far on his own. So I I think, you know, in the back of his mind somewhere, he was, you know, just aware that this is not within his set of skills. He's definitely going to need all the help he can get. That's 
amazing. That just leaves our final segment, David's Guessing Game, which for this week you actually uh pretty much nailed. Yeah. Uh, you your prediction was you actually had two separate predictions, which both ended up being correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you thought that either Lois would force the boys to do some sort of charity work or that they would end up robbing a charity. <laughs> uh, and they did both of those things. <laughs> the, the only thing that you were slightly off on was that you thought that they would either be helping with like a church bake sale or a like soup kitchen. I th- I like the fact that I mentioned church. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you, you were actually fairly close with that as well. You weren't completely off base, uh, which is why I'm giving you a 98% for this week. It wasn't quite perfect, but it was pretty close. I like it. Uh, and what do you think happens in next week's episode, Health Scare? So, Health Scare, I think, is going to be an episode where Hal has something like a mole or a blemish or uh, maybe a lump uh, of some sort that freaks him out. Uh, and you're going to get the whole, you know, like, acceptance of death pre, pre-diagnosis and and he's gonna kind of go off the rails um you're gonna see a lot of him i think trying to talk to like lois and the boys uh and really be grateful and appreciate uh his life and the things in it and really communicate that and we know from last week where i got a spoiler mm-hmm. that uh he's gonna be doing this in the boys' room at one point and the their their head's gonna pop <laughs> and uh <laughs> i'm curious how hal's gonna react to that but i i bet that you're going to have that judging off of that knowledge, admittedly, and not from the title alone. I think the boys are going to get themselves over their heads into some sort of adventure, maybe lost an item, or I th- I think they've done the sneaking out to go places. I don't think they're going to do that again, but like maybe they've lost something or want to go buy something. They haven't done that yet. Um, so one of those, maybe go stand in a line for something or whatever. And so, you know, they're going to sneak out of the house. I don't know how Lois is going to react to this, so I don't want to pause it a guess because that could go a lot of ways. I think that means you get it incomplete. What? No! <laughs> I don't have to! There's nothing in the title about Lois. I don't have to. I didn't have to posit the theory about the boys, but I have it based upon future knowledge given to me by the writer. Uh, I, which I believe they call cheating. It wasn't che- <laughs> I attended a conference where I was given information. Insider it's training. It's not cheating. It's not insider trading. What the fuck? <laughs> this isn't the stock market. What is wrong with you? This is at best this is at best community college. The fact that you gave me the answers to your test in a lecture the night before is not my problem. Are they going to make a show about it called The Community? <laughs> not you too. Get the fuck out. Uh, David loves the community. You know what? His favorite I... characters are the Abad and the Troy. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, the Abed, correct. It's just Troy. No. I hate you so much. Who are you talking to? Both of us? Yes. Yep. Fair. Uh, wait, Eric. Why? Why are you making a markdown on a chalkboard that just says David and Jake? Are you keeping track of how many times we say we? I hate? am because I'm trying to get to eight in an episode, which is what I think the record is, right? Yeah, that would be the record. Yeah, hundred percent. God. Well, that wraps this episode up. Uh, where can people find you, Eric? I am at uh, File Under Entertainment Podcast with Dylan and Eric, which is a podcast that uh, my brother 
brother and I discuss movies in alphabetical order. We're actually coming pretty close to wrapping up our first season. Our next episode is going to be V. So that's a lot of episodes that are in the can that people can check us out. Um, I would start with, if you since you already like the show, start with episode M because Jake and David do actually guest on it. And you can uh, hear more of their wonderful voices. Uh, and if you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast, which is also where we put up our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls. Yeah, make sure to go and vote, and uh, for once, prove me right. Also, if you want to come hang out with us and enjoy video games and just having live chats with us, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream various video games and interact with our chat live. Yep, it's a lot of fun. I can attest. We're like a, a little family of great people that uh, all interact, and so it's a lot of fun. You can chat with me, too. That's true. He does show up there. Uh, it's a great community, and you will uh, fit right in as it is uh, often centered around telling us how wrong we are and bad at things we are. <laughs> is it Absolutely the community? Correct. I hate you guys. <laughs> uh, also, everything from Twitch supports all of the content that we make, including this podcast. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and as always, remember, life is unfair.